The longest Christmas season in the world is in the Republic of the Philippines. Pasco sa Pilipinas, or Christmas in the Philippines, officially begins on September the 1st. And my children are celebrating. Yes, that's when we got to start Christmas. In fact, we always got to open one gift on September the 1st. We didn't do that this year, though, did we? It was kind of sad. Maybe eight and a half years back from the country uh, has caused us to, uh, you know, or maybe it was the budget. I can't remember. But anyway, um, but Christmas in the Philippines officially begins September the 1st. It actually does not end until January the 6th, which is known as Three Kings Day. Um, that makes it 127 days long of a Christmas season. Or to put it in a little bit different way, 35% of the year is Christmas. And yes, they start playing Christmas carols on the radio on September 1st. John, you would hate it. <laughs> but we loved it. And... I always loved having all the traditional Christmas decor uh, up and, you know, the, the snowmen, as you can see in the picture, maybe it's kind of small. The snowmen and the Christmas trees and then in the backdrop, uh, palm trees and green grass. You know, it was, it was almost like a Hallmark movie. Um, but I loved seeing, you know, all these Christmas things things happening and then people running around in chinellas. And if you don't know what that is, it's flip-flops, but that's what they call them was chinellas. You know, it, it just was a different vibe. I don't know if you've ever spent Christmas at a beach or anything like that, but it's just a different vibe. Now, some of you this morning are thinking, okay, Brother Wade, Christmas is over. Get on with it. Um, why are we still talking about Christmas? Well, the nativity narrative includes events that occurred, as Pastor David told us earlier, at a, a time later, uh, after the birth of the baby Jesus. So this week, we're going to be looking at the final, well, this week and next, we're going to be looking at the final two characters of the cast of Christmas. We've looked at the prophets. We talked about Mary and Joseph, and all along, of course, we're talking about Jesus. Uh, then last week, we talked about the shepherds. Well, today, we're going to talk about the Magi, and next Sunday, we're going to talk about King Herod. Now, since their stories, the Magi and King Herod, since their stories are somewhat intertwined, I'm going to be skipping over part of our text. I'm going to read it this morning, but I'm not going to dive into it this morning We'll look at the other aspects of that next week. Um, rather, today, I'm going to be focusing in on who the Magi were, the, the wise ones. And so I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Matthew chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible, you want to use your cell phone. Uh, of course, we have our interactive sermon notes and on the YouVersion Bible app, you can scan the QR code in your bulletin, or most of you know how to find that now. So um, 
We'll be reading just the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 2. The Bible says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening the, their treasures... They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So this morning, uh, I want us to look at this maybe in a little bit different way. Typically, I'll have you know, three to four to five points in a sermon that are all uh, somewhat of the same length. But this, this morning, I think there are just some questions that we have about who the Magi are and, or, or who they were and uh, you know, some different things about them. So we're just going to ask several questions. Some of these are, have a little more lengthy answer, and some of them are, are quite short. But the first question that I have is, who were the Magi? Who are these people that we refer to as the three kings of, or, of the Orient, or of the wise men? Who are these Magi? Well, the Old Testament actually gives us some accounts of who the Magi were. And I, I'm not going to cover all of these this morning, but I think there are a few of these occurrences that are important. You see in Jeremiah chapter 39, at the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonian Empire, if you remember, the northern kingdom had fallen to the Assyrian Empire before, and then several years later, the, the southern kingdom of Judah was then uh, taken into captivity by the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar, there in Jeremiah 39 is listed with several of his high-ranking officials. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the Babylonian Empire. And so he's listed there with these high-ranking officials. And one of these men is the Rob Mog, or in other words, the chief of the Magi. In Daniel chapter 4, the wise men who gave counsel to King Nebuchadnezzar uh, trying to interpret his dreams. These men also were magi 
Now, sometimes when it's translated, it will call them magicians, which that has been distorted in that way that the Magi became known as sorcerers or, or you know, enchanters or magicians. But the original term here, it comes from what we get the word Magi in the Greek. You see, the Hebrew word used here for magician or Magi is hartum. It's translated as magas in the Greek Septuagint. You remember what the Septuagint is? It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, okay? And so we get our word in English from that Greek form, magas, but that Greek form of magas is the word that is translated from the Old Testament here. This is the name given by the Babylonians as well as the Medes and Persians that followed them to refer to wise men or teachers, priests, astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, and so forth. So these magi were the wise men, the ones who gave wisdom to the rulers of the land. In Daniel chapter 5, after interpreting the king's dream, if you remember the, the text there in Daniel, uh, Daniel was the one who interpreted the dream properly when all the other magi were unable to do so. And so when that happened, King Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel to be the chief over all the magi in Babylon. Now from what we learn about Daniel from the book that carries his name, we know that Daniel was a godly man, a, a man of the highest character. He was not a man who could be swayed or influenced. He was going to do what was right no matter what. And being named chief of the Magi put Daniel into a unique position to be able to teach the truths from the law uh, and the prophets concerning the prophecies about the coming Messiah. So when the Jews were allowed to return home under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah you know, after the 70 years of captivity. Many of those Jews did not return back to Jerusalem. Many of them stayed there in Babylon. Many of them had intermingled and intermarried with the Babylonians. And throughout the remaining history of the Babylonian and Medo-Persian Empire, they were there and a part of that culture. So that's kind of a, a, a really important picture of the, the Magi and what influence godly men such as Daniel had over the Magi. Their role in history, well, in the Persian Empire, the interesting thing is, have you, you remember when we, we studied through Ezra and Nehemiah as well as the book of Daniel, we talked, well, maybe not Daniel, Ezra and Nehemiah, we talked about the the law of the Medes and the Persians. I don't know if you remember that or not, but we talked about how the law of the Medes and the Persians was this irrefutable, irreversible law that if it was a law of the Medes and the Persians, it could not ever be changed. Well, the law of the Medes and the Persians was based on the wisdom of the Magi. You see, the Magi in the, uh, 
Medo-Persian Empire as well as the Babylonian Empire, these men were the lawmakers. They were the legislature, if you will. They were the lawmakers. The Magi were so powerful that historians tell us that for a Persian to be named king, he had to meet two conditions. Number one, he had to master the scientific and religious discipline of the Magi. So he had to know all of the teachings of the Magi. But also, number two, he had to be approved by the group known as the Magi. They were the ones who crowned him king. So not only were they the lawmakers, they were also the kingmakers. John MacArthur explains that as history moved on, apparently the Magi began to depart from a singular commitment to their own historic religion. And they began to find their way into different things. Some of those Magi uh, focused in on uh, Zoroaster. <laughs> Zoroastrianism, that's a, that's a big one, um, which was promoted by uh, King Darius or Darius, depending on where you're from in the U.S. Some of those, uh, you know, stayed focused on the ancient beliefs of the Magi. But some of those Magi began to study the teachings and stay focused on the teachings from the law and the prophets and the writings the holy scriptures that we now refer to as the Old Testament. You see, they were truly seekers of the one true God. So not only were they lawmakers and kingmakers, they were Christ seekers. They were looking for the promised Messiah. So that's who they were. But as we move forward, there are some other questions that come to mind when thinking about the Magi, such as, from where did they come? Where did they come from? Well, the text of Scripture only tells us that they came from the East. And based on the historical context, the most likely origin of the Magi would have been from the area known as Babylon, or what we would refer to as modern-day Iraq. Um, it, and there's a lot of different evidence that explains that. So when it says they came from the east, that kind of gives us a, an idea of how far they had to travel. Now, what caused the Magi to make this journey? Question number three. By the way, I have seven, so I need to move along, right? Uh, what caused the Magi to make this journey? Well, the text says that they came because they saw a star. Now, there are many different theories about what kind of astral anomaly this was. For me, I believe that there are two plausible options, number two being the most likely. Option one is what they refer to as a conjunction. And this is not a grammar thing. Uh, this is a, uh, you know, an, an astronomy. Make sure I get that right. Not astrology, an astronomy thing. Uh, a conjunction occurs when two or more celestial bodies, such as stars or planets appear to meet in the night sky, at least from our perspective on earth. Obviously, they're not coming together in, in outer space, but they line up and, and when they line up, it becomes much brighter in the night sky. That's a conjunction. Now, uh, according to Brother Ron Simpson's notes, which a lot of the information I'm sharing with you today is, is from that. So if you have any problems, you can talk to him about it, right? Um, 
he, he taught through this in Sunday school. I said, I need to have those notes because, I, number one, I don't want to uh, teach something different than, than what you just taught in Sunday school. But according to his notes, he, the most promising uh, conjunction is an alignment of Jupiter and Saturn in the constellation Aries that happened on April 17th of 6 BC. While this is a plausible uh, you know, explanation of the star that they followed, um, I think there is a more viable option, and that's option number two. I believe that option number two is that this star was a manifestation of the glory of God. Just simply that. A manifestation of the glory of God. You know, as we studied last week about the shepherd, Luke chapter 2 verse 9 says, The glory of God shone round about them. And they were terrified, right? This, this light that came and filled the night sky at the time of Jesus' birth was the glory of God. Moses and the children of Israel experienced this during their exodus from Egypt. Do you remember how that the glory of God was a cloud of light by day and a pillar of fire by night and it would lead them wherever they were to go? This was the, a manifestation of the glory of God. And when Moses asked to see God's glory when he was up on Mount Sinai and God covered him and then he just saw the the fading glory as he passed. Do you remember what scripture told us? That his face glowed because he had seen the glory of God. To the point where everybody was scared of Moses and he had to wear a veil over his face after he would meet with the Lord. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, he allowed a few of his disciples to see his true glory. The Bible says, Matthew 17, 2, that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. So the glory of God or a manifestation of the glory of God is that of light. That's why it tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. And there is no darkness in him. So when we think about the behavior of the, the star, as it's referred to, how it appeared, and then disappeared, and then reappeared, and then guided them along the way, um, I don't think that it makes any sense to try to understand this as some astral anomaly. I think it's very simple to say this was a manifestation of the glory of God. So they saw the star. They saw this manifestation. Why did the Magi interpret the sighting of this star as the birth of the king? Well, I believe that they had studied the prophecies from the law, the prophets, and the writings that had been passed down to them from the time in which Daniel served as the chief Magi. He was the head of of the wise men in the Babylonian Empire. And you say, well then why was he thrown into the lion's den? Well that was other people that, that had a problem with him. It wasn't the Magi. The Ma he was the head of the Magi. They were waiting. The Magi were waiting 
They were watching for the Christ because that's what the, the t- teachings of, that Daniel had passed down to them said. They were waiting for the Christ, the King of Israel, to be born. And so when they saw the star, they realized what it was. Now remember, the Magi were kingmakers. They were looking for the signs for the coming king. So when they saw the manifestation of the glory of God in the western sky, they made preparations for their journey and they left to go find this promised king of Israel. So how long did it take them to make this journey? You know, I told you earlier that that Christmas in the Philippines ended on January the 6th. Why January the 6th? Well, somebody at some point in time decided that it would take them 12 days to make the journey from where the, uh, the wise men, the magi, were to go find the Christ child. Um, the fact is, is that there's no, his, no historical evidence that that could be true. Textual evidence also tells us that this journey probably took much longer than that traditional concept of showing up 12 days after the birth of Christ. You see in Matthew chapter 2 verse 9 that we just read a few minutes ago, when the Magi found the Christ, it refers to Jesus as a child, not as a newborn baby. The designation in the Greek language specifically refers to a child likely being between the ages of 6 and 18 months old. That's what this this term here for a child means. Now notice also that the star that they were following, it says, came to rest over the place where the child was. Uh, It says that in verse 9. So again, this child was no longer a baby. Now Chuck Smith makes this claim. I'm going to read this. It's a little bit long of a of a quote but let me read this to you it says notice it didn't stand over the manger it didn't stand over where the baby was but it stood over where the young child was here is where our christmas cards and our christmas pageants throw us off because it makes such a glorious climax to christmas pageantry to have the wise men coming to the manger on their camels and laying down their gifts before the baby in the manger, while the shepherds are peering on wild-eyed. He goes on, it says, it's something typical of Christmas cards or of the Christmas pageantry, but the wise men were latecomers. By the time they had arrived, Joseph and Mary had moved out of the manger and had moved into a house in Bethlehem, which it tells us that, that they went into the house, not into the to the stable. Let me continue what he had to say here. So by the time they got there, they had moved into a house in Bethlehem. The wise man did not come to the manger, but actually arrived later on, perhaps a year or as much as two years later. When the wise men finally arrived and they found the young child, by this time, and I I love this picture, they said by this time, Jesus was probably walking around and saying a few words. That gives us a whole different concept, doesn't it? 
Now, historical and geographical evidence reveals more about this journey. Because you see, in Ezra chapter 7, verse 9, Ezra is very specific about how long the journey from Babylon to Jerusalem took. He tells us that they set out on the first day of the first month, and they arrived on the first day of the fifth month. By my calculation, that means it took a full four months for them to be able to make the journey from Babylon over to Jerusalem. As mentioned before, the Magi would have to make arrangements for their entourage to leave. They were important people, y'all. And they weren't just going to travel with three of them and have to take care of all of the things. They, they had people with them. And so they had to make all these arrangements and, and so forth. And that would have taken a significant amount of time. Now, the final piece of evidence, which we'll, we will discuss more next week, deals with King Herod's plans to get rid of this threat to his throne. Because they came and said, uh, the king of the Jews has been born. They told that to the king of the Jews. <laughs> so King Herod was, felt threatened for sure. And so uh, he made a plan. So considering all these things... It is likely that Jesus was between 9 and 12 months old when the Magi arrived. But he could have been as young as 4 months. Or it could have been as old as 24 months, 2 years old. We just need to understand that this is no longer the baby in the manger. This is the Christ child that they came and worshipped. Now more importantly than how long it took for them to arrive... I think is the question of what did they do when they arrived? What did the Magi do when they arrived? And we find this in verses 10 and 11 of our text. The text reveals that there were three things that they did after leaving uh, King Herod. They went out and went on their way, started on their way to Bethlehem. And then it says they rejoiced. Why? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy because they saw the star. You see, the manifestation of the glory of God once again appeared to them and was leading them to the place where the child was, where Jesus was staying. So they rejoiced. The second thing it tells us that they did is that they worshipped him. Now, we don't have a clear understanding of, of what they knew about Jesus. But, you know, it must have been a curious sight to see those very impressive dignitaries going into the home of a carpenter in the city of Bethlehem, or the town of Bethlehem, and bowing down and worshiping this infant. They worshipped him. The third thing that we see is that they honored him. The idea that there were three wise men come from the fact that there were three gifts. Um, uh, they gave those gifts in, in order to honor the king. Now the gifts that they gave were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, in the carol, uh, do you hear what I hear? The third verse of that Christmas carol says, um, A child, a child, shivers in the cold. Let us bring him 
silver and gold. Tim Hawkins jokes about this song. He says, the child shivering in the cold, how about a blanket? How about some soup? No, throw some gold at him, he'll be fine. You know. What was the purpose of these gifts? Why did they give gold and frankincense and myrrh? What's the significance behind these gifts that were given? Well, I think each gift does have a significant meaning. Gold was a gift for a king. Anytime you see gold, you, you recognize that this was for you know, royalty. The frankincense was a gift unto God. Whenever they worshipped God, there was always incense involved. And so this frankincense was a sweet-smelling aroma that was a gift unto God. And so by giving this gift of frankincense to the Christ, they were giving a gift to God, showing his divinity. And then the myrrh was a gift for a man who was to die. It showed his humanity, his mortality. You see, the Christ child was born with one purpose, with one plan in mind, and that was to die for the sins of all mankind. And so in giving these gifts, the, the Magi showed Christ's royalty, his divinity, his humanity. The purpose of these gifts, beyond honoring the boy king, may be somewhat obscured, but we cannot overlook the obvious. Have you ever considered, and I know most of you know the story and what we're going to talk about next week when we come to talk more about King Herod. But have you ever considered how Mary and Joseph and this small child were able to escape to the country of Egypt? A, a trek like that was not cheap. How were they going to get there? Joseph was a carpenter. And worse yet, he was a carpenter trying to work his trade in a town that um, he did not live in. He did not grow up in. And so, you know, it's kind of like a plumber. Do you really want to call somebody that you don't know? You know? Um, and so they weren't wealthy for sure. How would they fund their escape to Egypt that comes in our study next week? Well, you see, folks, God sovereignly provided for their physical needs while giving them a spiritual picture of the life that Jesus was purposed to live. The gold for his royalty, the frankincense for his divinity, and the myrrh for his mortality. F.B. Meyer says this, how useful this gold was to Joseph in the following months. It helped him to defray the cost of the journey into Egypt and back and to maintain his precious charges there. The Heavenly Father knew what those needs would be and he met them by anticipation. You see, folks, gold, frankincense, and myrrh would not have been useful gifts to give to, to the infant Jesus. If you were going to a baby shower, 
would you give gold, frankincense, and myrrh? And I'm, you know, some, some young parents might be saying, I'll take the gold. Um, yeah, I, I can get that. But frankincense and myrrh? You see, they weren't useful to Jesus, but his parents used them, hopefully wisely, on Jesus' behalf and for Jesus' benefit. David Guzik wrote, he said, in the same way, when we give to Jesus today, we do not give directly to him, but to his people who use those gifts on his behalf and for his benefit. And hopefully we use them wisely. So I, I want to say this morning, when you are giving money to this church, you're not giving directly to God. We know that. But you're giving to God's people. You're giving to the institution that God created to bring glory to him on this earth. And hopefully we as a church will use that money wisely for his benefit, for his honor, for his glory. So, what can we learn from the Magi? In case you lost count, this is question number seven. What can we learn from the Magi? Well, again, reading from David Guzik's commentary, he suggests several things that we can learn from these wise men. First, they were not satisfied with looking at the star and admiring it. Which, I mean, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? We don't know exactly what it looked like or whatever, but, you know, anytime some astral anomaly is happening in the night sky, many of us find ourselves walking out on the, the front porch or the back porch or wherever the best, you know, line of sight is, and we're, we're looking up trying to see it, right? Uh, I mean... A couple months ago, I went outside and stood in the middle of the street trying to see the space station go overhead. Did y'all do that? Yeah? It was a speck. I had my, you know, my most powerful binoculars out, and it was still a speck. But, you know, we like to see those things. It's great to admire those things. But, folks, they didn't just look at the, the cool sights in the night sky. They did something about it. They set out and they followed the star. So I wonder this morning, we're trying to figure out what can we learn from the Magi. I wonder this morning, what is God showing you? What is God asking you to follow? What is he leading you to that you need to just Step out and do it. It's January 1st. Somebody, oh, Roland and Patricia, happy anniversary. Where are you? There you are. There you are. Glad y'all could spin that 30 feet apart. Um, 
January 1st, it's a day that we all think about what's this next year going to be like, right? I know some of you are stepping out and doing some new things, <laughs> right, Alberto? Oh, sometimes those new things are scary. But what's God leading you to? Are you willing to just step out and do it? I mean, this was not a simple journey that the Magi went on. This was a financial investment. This was an investment of time and effort. And all because of what they studied from Scripture and how they believed God was leading them. What are you studying from Scripture? How do you feel God is leading you? Will you just step out and do it? The second thing I think we can learn from the Magi is that they persevered in their search and in following after the star. We didn't get into all the interaction with Herod because like I said, we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. But they spent... Time. They went to the, the holy city of Jerusalem where royalty was because they were, they were looking for a king, right? So they assumed that the, the, the boy king, the child, was born in the royal city. But when they didn't find him, they kept going. They persevered. They had a calling from God to find the king Newborn king of Israel. Whatever your calling is, whatever that thing is that God is saying, step out and do it. Are you ready to actually do it and put in the work that is needed to make it happen? Or maybe you're already in the middle of following God's will for your life. I wonder today, as we approach this new year of 2023, are you ready to give up on the calling that God has called you to? Have you had it up to here? Are you overwhelmed? Have you lost sight of the big picture? The question is, is will you persevere in that calling? Third thing I want us to notice that we can learn from the Magi is that they were not discouraged in the search. Even when they came across difficulties. But as it told us in verse, nine, oh, no, verse 10. When they saw the star that reappeared and guided them to the Christ child. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. You know, folks, everyone faces difficulties in their life. Everybody does. Um, the key to facing difficulties in life is to not be discouraged in it. And sometimes there are very few things to rejoice about. Sometimes all we can see is the difficulties. But it's really important that we celebrate those good things 
that we rejoice with exceeding great joy in those victories, in those small things that we face. Because that's what carries us to not be discouraged. Two more things and then we'll, we'll have the message. What can we learn from the Magi? When they arrived at the destination that the star had led them to, they entered in, it says, they went into the house. And when they entered in, what did it say they did? They fell down and worshipped. They fell down and worshipped. What can we learn from the Magi? I think is this. We need to continually be approaching the Lord in worship. And that's not a Sunday thing. Whoa, what did I just say? Yes, it is a Sunday thing. But it's not just a Sunday thing. Folks, we need to be worshiping every day. Approaching the Lord. Falling down and worshiping Him. When we enter this place on a Sunday or other times, we need to have prepared our hearts for worship. But we've got to go in. I don't know what your situation is. I know that most of us here are here every Sunday. But there may be some that this is a new year and a new opportunity and we need to spend time every Sunday in the Lord's house. Well, I think we can learn from the Magi. You just have to go in and worship. And then finally, when they worshiped, it was to give something. This was not empty-handed adoration. They came in and they gave of their gifts, of the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Something that sticks in my mind, uh, especially from the time when we served overseas as missionaries, is that which cost me nothing is worth nothing. And um, this became very evident when we would do Bible distributions in prisons. Um, the word is powerful and accomplishes many things. And I'm, I'm sure that we will have our, our resident Gideon come and tell us more stories about that sometime soon. We hadn't scheduled that for this year yet. Oh, we have? Okay, well, I just don't remember. Um, when are we doing it? March. A couple of months. Um, but the word is powerful, no doubt. But when we would give away free Bibles, oftentimes they were used for absolutely terrible things. Whether that was rolling cigarettes or other things. The paper was used in, in, in bad ways. And, and what we discovered is that which cost you nothing is worth nothing to you. David put it this way. When King David wanted to worship and, and build a, an altar up on Mount Moriah, he found the threshing floor there and he wanted to use that space, that place. And the significance is 
huge of, about that place. I don't have time to go into it. But when, when he got up there, the owner of the threshing floor said, Here, King David, take it. I want to give it to you to, to use as a, a place for an altar. And David replied to him, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. When the Magi came in and worshipped the Christ child, they gave. They did not offer empty-handed adoration. They gave because that they, they did not want to offer praise to the Lord that cost them nothing. Well, this morning as we, we think about life in 2023, and what, what our spiritual walk needs to look like. I think there are a few things that we could do to deepen our relationship with God this year. I've listed these out on the screen. They're also in your interactive notes on version. But I think if you want to deepen your relationship with God this year, I think you need to increase what you're giving to this church. Oh, pastor, you're meddling now. You say, I'm on a fixed income, preacher. I can't do that. You know, there's nothing that brings greater dependence on the Lord than to give away what you already have. And some of you may not be giving anything. And just so you know, I don't know. So if I'm looking at you right now, I'll look at my, my in-laws. If I'm looking at you right now... I don't know what you give. I don't want to know. But I do know this. In my 50 years of life, whew, happy birthday to me. In my 50 years of life, there were, there were periods of my life that I did not give to the Lord what was due to him. And those, those periods of time in my life were periods of time when I was not acting in dependence upon the Lord. Notice, I didn't say independent of the Lord, but in dependence. I was, de I was not depending upon him. When we give, we're depending upon the Lord. So if you want to deepen your relationship with God, make it hurt a little bit more. Give a little bit more. I better move on quickly. Prepare your heart for worship before you come in this place. Pastor David does an amazing job preparing our hearts for worship. Preparing you for the message that God has for us each and every Sunday. A lot of times he preaches points uh, before I get a chance to. But that's okay because we seldom remember what you hear just once. So I, I, I don't mind that at all. But we need to prepare our hearts long before we get here. We need to be worshiping every day. We need to pr be praying in anticipation for what God 
has for us each and every Sunday we come here, each and every time we walk into our community groups. We need to be anticipating what God has for us. Third thing is we need to find joy in small things each and every day. My wife, who, by the way, is sick, and that's why you haven't seen her this morning. Uh, this is her annual tradition. Apparently, she gets sick on New Year's Eve. Yay. Um, but my wife uh, has a tradition that she does still every day. We did this with our children when they were small. Um, but every night uh, before they went to bed, we would say, okay, let's count our blessings. And we would sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. Um, it may be the only hymn my kids know, I don't know, but they surely know that one. Um, that's not true, I'm just kidding. My son, the music educator, uh, just gave me a really dirty look. So, um, But every night we would write down something we were thankful for. And to this day, my wife has a journal that she calls her blessing journal. And all, every day she writes down something that she's thankful for. It could be something amazing or it could be something very small. You might even call it insignificant. But you know what? When we maintain an attitude of gratitude, there's, there's some powerful things about that in our lives. When we find joy in the small things, it has a tremendous impact on our lives overall so i encourage you go get a five dollar calendar from from walmart and depending on how much you want to write on a daily basis your blocks could be that big or your blocks could be that big whatever and every day this year write down what is it you're thankful for um since joanna was sick uh we didn't go to the to the party last night and I went home, uh, I was up here studying as my custom is. I went home just before midnight and I started, I went into the house and I looked in the living room, she wasn't there. I said, like, oh, she must have already gone to bed. Went back to the bedroom and, and she wasn't there. And I'm like, where are you? She was in her studio, which is where her desk is and where she does her quiet time every day. And I walk in behind her and I look over her shoulder and her Bible is open to Malachi. She's been doing a read through the Old Testament this year. And she looked up and she said, well, I finished it with six minutes to spare. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she showed me her journal. And every page, every block was filled with some blessing that God had provided her on that day. I would not be able to tell you these things if she were sitting here this morning. I would get shot. But folks, we need to find joy in the small things that happen each and every day. Two more on this list. And that is obey God's leading in your life and don't give up. Persevere in that calling. What is it that God's leading you to do and just wants you to step out and actually do it? On Christmas Eve, last Saturday evening, Amy and Rachel 
sang one of my favorite songs. Um, if you missed it, you missed a blessing. It's on, it's on our uh, Facebook page. Uh, you can go back and you can watch the, the video of it. It won't be like it was when it was live. But they sang one of my favorite songs, uh, Christmas songs, called In the Bleak Midwinter. If you don't know the song, I, I'm not going to share all of, the, all of the lyrics to it. But I want to share the last verse and what the, the words of that last verse of that Christmas carol says. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man... I would do my part. But yet what can I give him? Oh, I messed it up. I knew I was going to. That's why I looked down and I still messed it up. Let me back up. Yet what I can, I give him. What is that? Give him my heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time together to study your word. Lord, I thank you for the way that you use your word to speak into our lives. So, Father, now as we are considering the, the coming year, and all of the things that the coming year has for us. Lord, I pray that we will look to your will. And do what you would have us to do. Lord, we thank you for speaking into our lives. For giving us calling and purpose. Lord, help us this year to become more dependent upon you to keep in step with your spirit to honor and glorify you in our lives Lord we just pray these things in Jesus name Amen